Hey, well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Like Joel said, my name is Nico. Yes, thank you for waving, people. Um, uh, my name is Nico. I'm the next-gen pastor here at Bridgeway, um, and I'm getting to join you guys for week three of this series, What Makes Jesus Mad? Um, and I think we all know, and to know something to be true, is that, that the whole idea of this series is that we can learn about somebody based on what makes them angry, what makes them mad. And we're going to be getting into that with Jesus and what we can learn from that. But I thought first maybe we could pause and kind of learn about each other a little bit, or maybe it's just going to be learning about me. Because what I want to share are some things that grind my gears. Some of the things that are kind of like maybe my own pet peeves, but I want this to be a group activity for you guys joining online. You guys can post in the chat. For those of you guys who are here, like if I say one of these things and you're like, oh, for sure, that's, that's something that grinds my gears, that's a pet peeve, throw your hand up, okay? Because I don't want to feel like I'm just crazy and I'm just all these things are driving me nuts and I'm the only one. All right, got it? We're all on the same page. Hands up if you got it. Okay, here we go. First one, open mouth chewing. <laughs> Thank you. This makes me feel good. Okay. This is a special, this is one that's special in my heart because specifically, I'm really working on my younger son to stop doing this because he'll say, Dad, I'm not doing that. I'm like, buddy, you are doing it. <laughs> but I have, and if I had a college roommate, and buddy, I'm sorry, I'm not even call you by your name, so I'm not giving, I'm not, shots not fired. But I had this thing where in our, in our apartment, we had like the, the couch that came with the apartment and then also like some sort of couch that we found in a dumpster outside. And we kind of had them like, you know, it was classic, it was college. So we put them like kind of at like a little corner. And then we had this weird chair that to be honest, I don't even know what it was, like a really weird high top chair that kind of sat at the corner. And of course, we were all facing the TV. He had this thing that I probably should have just manned up and talked to him about it. I never talked to him about it. He would always sit in that chair and eat cereal Every show we watched, every movie we watched, which in college was a lot, every time. Oh, so, yeah, sorry. That one is strong for me. All right, next one. Put your hands up if you're feeling this. Voicemail. I'm sorry if you sent me a voicemail. Can I just say, like, can we just agree to just stop with the whole voicemail thing? Like, if you call someone and they don't answer, just send them a text like, hey, call me back. Or, like, you know, do something else besides leaving me, like, a three-minute-long thing I got to listen to and then call you back. I don't know. For, I, I had uh, one of my good friends, he used to drive me nuts with this because if he'd call me, he would, number one, leave a really long voicemail for exactly what he was going to tell me. And then at the very end of the voicemail, he would put a password. So when I called him back, if I didn't start the conversation with the password, he would literally just hang up on me instantly because he knew I would have to listen to the voicemail. Drove me insane. Yeah, that's me. Hopefully someone else is with me on voicemail. All right. <laughs> Number three, if I hand you my phone and I'm showing you a picture, that means you have rights to just look at that picture. You don't have the right to just sit there and keep swiping and see the rest of my life and everything else going on. Yes, somebody else? Am I just me? All right, thank you. We're all there. If there's someone next to you that does that, feel free. This is the time to nudge them and maybe they'll stop because you're finally calling them out. Um, number four, this is a big one for me, daylight savings. Do, am I the only one? Does anybody else remember when Indiana just chose to not do daylight savings? Can we go back to those days? Like, for real. Like, I don't know. I kind of thought it was cool that Indiana was like, hey, pff, not going to do that. <laughs> Everyone else is doing it. We're going to choose to opt out. I want to opt out. I don't like having a Sunday every year that I'm like, this is way too early for me to be getting up because I just lost an hour of sleep. All right. Last one, and hopefully you guys are with me, standing too close to somebody in line. 
right? Like, yes, hands up, please. Somebody, like even before COVID, I don't want to feel your breath on my neck. Not to mention it instantly, I don't know about you guys, I instantly go into, oh, they're trying to steal my wallet. I don't know why, I have zero cash in my wallet, but sure, maybe I should be panicked about losing my license. That would be an annoying day to have to find that back. So yeah, all those things are, are things that grind my gears. And so this week, uh, what we want to do is we want to jump into and kind of continue looking at what we've been looking at through this whole series of what made Jesus mad. And uh, the topic that we're talking about this week specifically, um, I'm hoping and I think will kind of push you this week because we are going to kind of be looking at like what made Jesus mad when it came to judging others. Because I think, and I think we can all start on the same page here, no matter where you're at with this subject, is that we can all agree that there are few things worse than feeling judged, right? Right? Like, that is, like, one of the, the worst feelings that we can have as humans. Like, whether it is, like, maybe you made a mistake and, like, you messed up, whether your work, house, family, whatever it is, if you made a mistake and then now people are judging you for that mistake, like, that feels horrible, right? We hate that. Especially if you're like, I didn't even mean to do it in the first place, but it accidentally kind of happened and, you know. Or sometimes it's just, like, somewhat, something about you that somebody else doesn't like and it's not even like a mistake that you made. It is just something about you that somehow makes someone else like just kind of judge you. Um, specifically, as if you know me in real life, I have a loud voice. I can't even tell you the amount of times that I have been in like a restaurant and just laughing. And like I can hear other tables making fun of my laugh because it's just, it's probably a little annoying. Let's be honest. <laughs> it is annoying. If you're like having like a romantic day, you don't want to hear this guy hee-hawing over in the corner. <laughs> but... All I can say is I can't even tell you the amount of times I have felt judged by other people just for having a loud voice. I'm sorry. I can't help it. But yeah, we all have those things, right? We all know that it feels horrible when we get judged, right? But on the other side of the coin is that despite knowing how much we hate getting judged, man, we love judging other people, don't we? Like it's like the flip side of that coin. And maybe it's because of something that you've seen them do and you're like, oh no, I am perfectly within my rights. It is in the law. I can judge them because this is what they did. It drove me nuts. They've been doing it for years. They park in the whatever. I don't know how you want to describe it, but all it is, you have seen it and you're like, no, 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 this person deserves to be judged. That's not normal behavior. Or maybe for some of us, it's not even something that we've even met this person. Maybe it's just something you've heard that they did. Or maybe it's like someone else telling you a story and you don't even really know this person. Maybe you know this person, maybe not. But you have judged them just based on the stories that you heard. And like, that person is the literal worst. I cannot believe them. Or maybe sometimes, and I don't know why we do this to ourselves, it's social media. Like sometimes it's just like you got a friend and let's be honest, you don't want to see eye to eye on almost anything political or anything else. And because of that, you literally judge them every time they make a post can I just let you know, this is just free. This is not even part of the message. You can just unfollow those people. I got a lot of people that I love in real life that I just don't follow because it just makes me not like them as much. So all that to say is, yeah, maybe it's social media or it's, there's something about judging other people, right? And it kind of makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. All of a sudden, we kind of get like that little hit of feeling a little bit more superior than that person or kind of feeling a little bit more righteous than that person and so this morning, what I want to do um, as we're talking about this topic is I want to look at one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. Uh, it's written by this guy named John. Uh, he actually knew Jesus personally. He was one of his close friends. And John lived longer than any of other of Jesus's disciples. 
And so when he was old, kind of getting, you know, getting near his deathbed, he's like, all right, I better write down everything that I can about the life of Jesus so we can share it moving on from here. Um, and he might have been actually the very last person who actually met Jesus and hung out with him to be able to write about his life. And this, this is what it says. It comes out of the book of John, uh, chapter 8. It says, And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he returned to the temple. All of the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? And they said this to him to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Now, I really want for us in this moment to kind of like, because like, and when you hear this story, some of you are probably already checking out. You're like, oh, I've heard this before. This is Jesus' greatest hits. I know this story. Let's just pause. <laughs> Let's just pause. Because I think sometimes when you hear these stories so often, even as a little kid, like you can kind of like almost become numb to like what is actually happening here. So like feel this moment. Let me kind of word picture it for you. So like in case you miss it, Jesus is teaching in basically what would have been their church at the time when all of a sudden these Pharisees catch this woman and bring her to him. Like, think about the awkwardness of that moment, right? Like, that would be the same as if right now, literally in this moment, as I'm teaching you, someone came busting in this door, a whole group of men carrying this woman, because you know she obviously wasn't just walking along with them. She's literally fighting, and they're dragging her in here. They literally came and, like, brought her to the stage. Like, she's wrapped in a blanket. Like, everyone, we would literally be shocked, right? Like, half of you wouldn't be like, what is going on? Half of you would never come back here again. Like, man, Bridgeway literally is full of sinners. Like, those guys are the worst. Like, it would, and you like, all week long, you'd be like, you know what happened in my church this week? Like, literally, like, it would be, like, crazy, right? And that's what's happening in this story. Jesus is literally in the middle of teaching. They bring this woman wrapped up to him. And as a side note, um, I just want to get this off my chest, um, this passage always drives me nuts because the Pharisees set up this big trap to catch this woman so they can test Jesus, but they only bring the woman, right? Like, why is it, like, it takes two to tango, right? Like, why isn't there the man who's here owning up to what he did? Like, why didn't they bring him too? I've even heard some people talk about, like, maybe it was, like, one of the Pharisees himself who kind of, like, set up the whole thing. I'm like, why is that guy not here? Why did this guy get to be the guy who laid the trap while this woman had to be here exposed to everyone else? So after all of this setup, now that we're feeling the awkwardness of this moment, of what just happened, um, we are in for a treat. Because what Jesus does next is maybe my favorite all-time Jesus response in all of the Bible. Like, he has these people, again, running up to him in the middle of teaching, raging, screaming, yelling questions. They're probably holding rocks because they want to stone her. And, like, this woman is embarrassed. She's afraid for her life. And this is what happens next with Jesus. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. <laughs> If you're not laughing now, you don't understand how uncomfortable this is. <laughs> Let, let's be honest. Like, I don't have the courage to do something like this. Can you imagine the next time you are with, like, 
you're having a fight with your spouse or the friend, your parents, whoever it is, all out, like going round for round, yelling at each other, you're the worst, no, you're the worst, you did this, you did that. And then out of nowhere, when it's your turn to now yell over that other person, instead, you just get down and just start kind of rubbing your finger on the ground, right? Like that is completely awkward and like you would, you would be furious if someone did that to you. It's absurd, right? That no one responds that way. But that's what Jesus does. He instantly just kind of bends down, starts stooping in the ground and drawing in the dirt. And if you're like me, my first question is always, what was Jesus writing, right? Like I wanna know what he was writing. And unfortunately, the text doesn't tell us but uh, through church history, through like different historians, we've had kind of like three main groups of thought of what Jesus was doing in this moment, kind of doodling. Uh, the first one is doodling. They literally, some people think like he was literally just kind of just making like shapes and clouds. Like, I don't know about you guys, if someone gives me a piece of paper and tells me to draw a picture, the first thing I do is I draw a sun in the corner with like a little sunglasses. So like maybe that's what Jesus is doing. He literally just making sun with the sunglasses, nothing connected to anything else they're doing. Um, some people think that maybe what was really happening is Jesus was in the, gra- in the ground there, kind of writing the name of each of the Pharisees who had kind of just showed up, and then next to it, putting like the sins or the different things that they had failed in, and like writing that out to every single one of them. So they're just literally just kind of face-to-face with the ways that they've messed up in their own life. Or other people think that maybe he was writing what the Jewish people would have called the Shema, what we now call as the greatest commandment of love God, love others. And like maybe that is what Jesus was writing. Like, hey, like just, I just want to remind you, this main thing that you were supposed to have memorized since you were a little kid, let me just write this out here, just give you a little bit more memory on like that whole subject. Um, but to be honest, as badly as I want to know what he wrote, it doesn't really matter what he was writing. Because to be honest, you can pick any one of those three options, and it's kind of epic, right? Like, no matter what, I think the amazing thing that Jesus was really doing in this moment was that he was creating a diversion for this woman. Because I bet as soon as he kind of stooped down and started writing, there was not a single person looking at this woman. Every person was looking over at Jesus to see what he was writing. He took the focus off of her and brought it onto himself. Even in that moment, Jesus was giving her some grace. Even if it was just a little bit in that moment, he was giving her grace to kind of take the attention off of her. And you might be thinking like, why? What, what exactly are the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus in, the right, right in this moment, right? So the trap is basically, hey, Jesus, you either got to stone this woman and kind of, you know, cause her death right here in front of everyone and follow the laws, or you can choose probably what we'd all agree with, maybe a more humane way to handle it and breaking the laws and saying, you know what, I'm going to give this girl grace and freedom. And, you know, most people would say like he would obviously kind of be undermining God in this situation, which I think all of us would agree. We don't like it when people pretend like they're God. Jesus is the one that is actually God, so he can totally do this. So uh, that would be a problem for anybody else. But the story continues. This is what it says. They continued to question him. So he stood up and replied, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. I love that. I can literally picture Jesus in my mind, like he's like sitting there, he's just drawing, he finally stands up, he says this to him, and he just stoops right back down, like he has no time for these fools coming in at him like this. And I kind of wanted to pause on this verse, um, specifically because it says this word sin, when he's talking about sin, 
Um, and I think it's, for me at least, really important for us to kind of just talk real quick, like, what sin actually is. Because I think for a lot of people, outside of church, unless you're hanging out with other people than I am, no one talks about the word sin. Like, it's only used in, like, a church context, right? Whether you're out of church or whether maybe you're hanging out with your friends who happen to also be Jesus followers. Besides that, nobody really talks about what sin is. And so sin actually comes from two words, both the Greek and Hebrew words, that both mean miss the mark. Originally, sin was actually used as an archery term, like when someone was shooting a bow uh, or an arrow. I guess you're not shooting the bow. You're pulling back the bow. You're shooting the arrow at the target. When you miss the target, that is what sin was. That's the amount that is different. That is sin. And so in this moment, instead of talking about archery, Jesus is talking about God's perfection, saying that to miss the mark that God had called us to in the way that we love him, or maybe missing the mark in the way that we are called to love others in like relationships. Like that is what sin meant to miss that mark of what we should have done. So here we go. We're going to continue in the story. Those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. And I love this moment because like I can, I love just picturing like Jesus is stooped down with this woman kind of consoling her, maybe talking to her. And then like one by one, these Pharisees kind of like awkward robot out of the situation because they're like, well, guess uh, this one failed. Or like they're kind of like the Homer Simpson meme where he's like going into the bushes and like fading away. Like that's 100% what they're doing, right? They're all kind of like, well, that didn't work and just kind of walking away there. And, you know, they're just one by one go away. And uh, I, what I love even more about this moment is that the Pharisees kind of set up like this whole trap, right? Like they had this game that they had set up for Jesus and thinking like, hey, we're going to play this exactly right. He's going to lose this game. It's going to embarrass him. This whole crowd of people are going to be mad about his choice. He's going to break the law or not break the law. Whatever it is, he's going to lose. But then Jesus and his love instead changes the game completely. And then these Pharisees basically just quit the game that they then created they just kind of quit everything they were having because like, I don't, I don't know what to do. This guy's too good. So all of a the sudden, their gaze was on Jesus instead of this woman, and it changed everything for them, right? Because all of a sudden, they couldn't just look at what she had done. Instead, when they were looking at Jesus, they're like, oh, maybe I had uh, made a few more mistakes than I'm really ready and proud of to admit right now. And I think another interesting thing about this story, um, and I, I was kind of always curious about this, as I was growing up, if I would ever read the Bible and came across this story, because uh, whether you read it digitally or in a paper book, there's always a little footnote right next to this passage. And if you click through or if you just look at the bottom of the page, it says the earliest manuscripts do not include this passage. They, it's like basically almost exactly this story saying that the earliest manuscripts of the Bible don't include this passage. Um, and just to kind of give us like a real quick Bible 101, basically how we got the Bible. The Bible was written in all kinds of different parchments and texts, and like some of it were letters and like history books. All of it were all kinds of things written in different languages a long, long time ago. And we don't have, unfortunately, the perfect copies of the originals anymore. And it was at a different time when like basically when they were translating or trying to make a copy, it would be a monk sitting there word for word copying that other copy, right? And so they're kind of making copies of copies and like, you know, making this big translation of the Bible. So sometimes, because human error, there can sometimes be like minor variations in the Bible's source material. 
Um, I can assure you, if you're panicked right now, uh, there's no huge theological implications on this. It's not like one verse, one group said like, oh, hey, Jesus died for your sins. And the other said, no, Jesus really loved to surf. Like that's not at all what we're saying here. Those are not the kind of things. Most of the time, um, it's really small things. Like it's like the word the is like in the wrong spot. Or they're like, I don't know if it's the or of. It's one of these two words. Or like a lot of the times it's like just misspellings of like common cities that would have been around or people's names. So it's like things that really don't matter a whole lot. But what is interesting about this story is that in the kind of original source material that we have, there is one that has this specific story written out in it and six others that don't include the story. But specifically, two of those six have like this blank space for where the story should be. As in like they knew this was the story that was supposed to go here, but they didn't include it. And so if you're a biblical scholar, outside of just looking at the original text, the next thing that they do to kind of try to figure out like what exactly should be here or should not be here is that they go then to like the church history. And so there's this guy um, called St. Augustine. So he is one of our biggest church fathers way back in the day, kind of influenced a lot of the way that we read the Bible, the way that we understand the Bible. Um, I love him so much. I literally named my oldest son after this guy. Um, But he was quoted from saying as talking about this subject, talking about this passage that was kind of out of some of the original kind of manuscripts that we're looking at. He said that it was removed from the text to avoid scandal, which would kind of explain like the blank spaces in those manuscripts, right? Like according to Augustine, some of the early church didn't like this story because it made Jesus look a little too complacent about sin. It looked like Jesus had maybe a little bit too much grace than they were really comfortable with. And I love, I love that part of it. I love that the early church thought that it made Jesus look like he had too much grace. So they were kind of nervous to even look into it because they were thought like people were just going to do whatever they wanted and, you know, would be like, well, I guess I got to experience the grace of Jesus. Like they were kind of nervous about that. So right now, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you're maybe in a situation with somebody and you're trying to decide, like, I've given this person a lot of grace and like it feels like there's not a lot of reciprocation here happening. There's not a lot of feedback. Maybe for you, You need to continue to give that person some more grace and be more like Jesus in the way that you're handling that because Jesus gave so much grace that people literally wanted to take it out of the Bible in the way that we read it now. But I know when we hear a story like the woman caught in adultery, it is so easy to say, well, that was them. I would never do that. That that is stupid. Or like, hey, you know what? This is just one of those old Bible stories that like, all right, I guess it's like a fun, weird story. I don't really get it. But like, it doesn't really tell us anything about people now, right? But I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we really want to be honest when we read this story, that we still do this all the time, even today. And that you might not drag people out of bed and point out their sins in front of a giant crowd, which would be really weird, right? Let's just be glad that doesn't happen anymore. Um, But we love to compare ourselves to others. It's almost like that drug that we need that hit of because we want to feel better about our own lives. And I think that if we're really honest with ourselves, that we can be a lot more like the Pharisees than we really want to admit when we pick up our rocks of judgment for other people. So what I want us to do real quick, if you haven't already noticed, um, underneath your chair, there's a rock. Grab that rock and hold on to that rock. 
Um, and if you're online, if you're watching through Facebook, either you got like probably 20 seconds, go run and grab a rock from your front yard, or like pick up a pillow, hold something next to you. I want you guys to be able to join in too. So yeah, so everyone's picking up the rock. Hold on to that tight in your hands. Kind of get a feel for it. Don't be doing like a loosey-goosey pass and forth. Just hold on to it. Like kind of like feel it in your hands. Because I think as we're talking about judgment, like part of this is like this is one of the reasons why social media is so popular, right? Like we love it. And we might not admit it out loud, but we love it when somebody airs out their dirty laundry, right? Or like they say something that we know is wrong. Like that guy is a, a, an idiot. Like just straight up, that person is dumb. He is not smart. Um, because they believe this thing differently than you do about like maybe politically or whatever else. And we instantly then feel better about how smart we are, right? Or like whatever's going on in our life because we're looking at this horrible person that we're like in our mind like, I can't believe they would do that. They're posting that. Or even outside of our digital lives, we do this all the time, right? Like we love to compare ourselves to our coworkers, our family members, our kids, our friends, our neighbors. Like when you think about it, it's almost kind of a little sick and twisted when you think about all the different people that we are constantly comparing ourselves with. Because most of the time, like we mostly emphasize maybe their worst qualities or the ways that they failed or the way they had like a worst moment of their life happen. And then instead emphasize our best moments and all of our best qualities and the things that we're really good at. Or maybe we think we're way better at than we actually are. Or maybe when we mess up, we even let ourselves off the hook and we justify it, right? Like, oh, well, I had a really long week, so it's okay for me to, you know, say mean things or say that hurtful thing because, like, I've been working like crazy and I was just really tired. Or like, hey, they did it first or they, I've been putting up with this for years, so I was okay to do that one little thing. That's not the same thing. All of a sudden, we justify it when it's our own thing that we have to deal with. And I think that when we fall into this trap, all of a sudden, we stop having grace for other people, right? Because we're too busy holding these rocks of judgment. All of a sudden, we stopped being stooped over like Jesus was with this woman writing in the sand. And instead, we are standing all up with like the Pharisees holding these rocks ready to judge anyone else who does things that we don't like. And I think for us, the good news in this, because there is good news, I promise, is that no one has this figured out, right? Like there's not a single person that you're ever going to meet outside of Jesus that is a human that you are going to be like, oh yeah, this person is literally perfect. You might think they are. Like we even have like ideas of like Mother Teresa and like people who are like all-stars and you're like, oh yeah, that person is perfect. No, no, no. Nobody is perfect. Nobody has this figured out, which means every one of us has a lot of learning to do. So I want to suggest three ways this morning that maybe would help us to drop the rock. And I think if you put one, two, maybe even all three of these into practice in your life, I promise you will be dropping the rock way more often. You won't be holding on to this rock like we are right now. The first one is just simply this. Stop measuring sin and deciding which sins are worse than others. Like we do this all the time, right? I don't even gotta try to, I'm not even gonna try to give you guys all kinds of examples outside of the ones I'm about to give you. It says, for example, your gossiping isn't better than how he cheated, right? Which isn't worse than the lie that you told, which isn't better than the too much wine that she had, which isn't worse than the hurtful thing that you said, which isn't better than how they treated you or made you feel, right? 
Like, which this isn't to say that all sins don't have different consequences because for sure they do. Every sin has its own different amount of consequence for it. But at the end of the day, each sin is us choosing our way instead of what Jesus has that's best for us. Every sin is just us missing that mark of what really would have been the best way for us to live our lives. And so um, in the letter that Paul wrote to a church in Rome, church, Paul was like an early church leader. This is what he said to, to the church in Rome in this letter. He says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. And this verse, man, it is true even when you don't want to believe it. This verse is true even when somebody else has hurt you and you're still thinking about that every single day, maybe for years, that verse is still true. And we want to be justified by holding whatever that person did against them and holding up our rocks of judgment towards them. So sometimes it's just making sure we understand all the different sins and trying to not level them all out. The second one is see the story. See the story. Stop measuring sin. See the story. And I think this one is really powerful because I don't know about you guys. I am really good at making up stories about other people based on one action that they did. Am I the only one here? All of a sudden, I become J.K. Rowling writing stories about people's lives about one thing that they did just because they left a water bottle on a table. And now I'm like, oh, clearly they have a lot of issues from their parents and things like that. No. I think what we can do is give people some grace. Like that guy who parties all weekend, he has a story. Or that person who maybe parents so much differently than you do, and you're like, I'm kind of not sure I really agree with the way that they're parenting. Guess what? They have a story. Like the people around you don't just magically appear, right? They all have a backstory. And that story affects why they act the way that they do. And here's what's true and you can't convince me otherwise, is that you have no idea what their story is, even if you think you do. So like, let's give people a break, right? Like, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of times I have judged somebody for something, whether it's maybe like kind of like more of like an acquaintance or like a really close friend. And I would feel like, oh, I basically know everything about this person. And like, I judge them for doing something. And then after I talk to them, all of a sudden it started to make sense, right? Like, it doesn't mean that it's okay all of a sudden. Like, they're still doing things that are maybe, like, worthy of, like, fixing and need to be stopped. But all of a sudden, I stop coming out of it out of a place of anger, and I switch and start coming out of it at a place of, like, understanding and love. It completely changes the dynamic with that person. Or this last thing that I think we can do to start beginning to drop the rock is just focus on Jesus, right? Spend less time thinking about other people's issues and more time focusing and thinking about Jesus. And I think when we do that, we will instantly start having more baby steps in the right direction, becoming more like Jesus. It's driver's ed 101, right? You drive towards whatever you're looking at. You can't look at the, the big road signs because then you're going to go driving right towards the road signs. No, you look at where you want to be. Because here's the thing, and we all need to hear this. I'm going to say it twice just so we all soak it in. But you cannot change people by judging them. Right? We can't change people by judging them. And I'm not saying that twice, but I think all oh, you guys need to hear it that bad, but I also need to hear it that bad in my heart, right? Because seriously, no one ever has had a change of heart because someone started talking trash about them and their issues. 
anytime I have messed up, which admittedly, it's a lot of times in my life, whenever I have messed up and someone has judged me for that move, guess what? All it did was push me farther away from God's love. All it did was push me farther away in that relationship instead of embracing me in love of like, hey, I know you messed up. Let me give you some grace. Let's pick your, kind of dust you off and let's keep going. And I don't want to say focus on Jesus so that you feel terrible shame about your life, right? Because let's be honest, like comparing yourself to Jesus will kind of put you in the right space real quick. Like if it's me and my neighbor, Steve, um, it's like, I don't know, I guess I'm a little better than Steve. Like his yard is nicer, but I also go to church more. So, you know, there's those two things. <laughs> I'm just joking. My pastor's actually, my neighbor's actually a pastor, so we're even. But all that to say... <laughs> All that to say is like, it's really easy for us to kind of be like, oh, you know what? I'm a little bit better than that person, right? But then when all of a sudden our bar is Jesus, I mean, let's be honest, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to stand on this because I would just went right through the floor. Like the level doesn't even compare. And I don't think that makes us like more kind of in a bad place. It kind of just right placed and right sizes who we are and where we should be. I tell you to focus on Jesus so you can experience what that woman accused of adultery did that she was able to experience the grace of Jesus. Because when we think we're like, I don't know, I'm doing pretty good, all of a sudden, we're like, oh, I don't really need grace that bad. But when we're like, oh man, I got a long way to go, I need that grace. There's no way I can even get close to that without all kinds of grace upon grace. So here's what I know. The sooner that you learn to show grace to yourself for your past mistakes, the sooner you're going to be able to extend that grace to other people. And the sooner that you are going to be able to share that with more and more people. Those of us who are hardest on ourselves are the same people who are hardest on others. So in learning to give grace to others, man, we're also learning to give grace to ourselves as well. And so, um, everyone still holding the rock? Yes. So this is what I want to do. Um, I want to ask you this question of, who have you been judging or who have you been like holding judgment against? Maybe someone that you're holding a grudge about. Maybe, it, for, let's be honest, like some of you have already had that person in your head for the last 30 minutes, so you already got them down. But maybe for some of you, like maybe it's someone who like did something hurtful to you. And like, let's be honest, like it hurts. You still think about it a lot. They deserve probably a little bit of judgment, right? Like you're feeling pretty righteous about that. Or maybe it is someone that has hurt someone close to you. Maybe it's like that's the person that you've been holding on to. Or maybe it's like you don't, again, don't even know this person. Maybe it's things you've heard they've done or seen them do, and you've been holding on to this rock of judgment against them. Or maybe for some of you guys, it's like, well, it's not like really like a person. It's more like a whole group of people. Like everyone on that side of the political spectrum, they're a bunch of idiots. Or everyone on that side, they're a bunch of dummies. So whatever it is, it's like we can hold on to these rocks of judgment, right? And I think when we hear the story, it's easy to read it as, oh, it's because that woman got away with this sin, right? But what they missed in the early church and what we missed when we read this now is that the woman didn't get away with it. Like Jesus died on the cross for that woman who was caught in adultery. And he died for everything that she had ever done before and after that moment. And what's beautiful is that we get that same thing because of Jesus. That every way that we have messed up in the past, any way you're going to mess up in the future, maybe even this afternoon, that we get all those things forgiven and we get grace over all those things because of Jesus and his love for us. 
And so that means that's also not just the people in this room. That's also those people that you're holding this rock of judgment against. So who is it in your life that you need to extend grace and forgiveness to and drop the rock? Because this is the thing. When I'm holding this rock of judgment, I can't even use this hand anymore, right? So all of a sudden, my freedom that I should be able to experience, I don't even get to do that because I'm so busy holding judgment against that person. And so what I want us to do um, here in just a minute, I'll give us a countdown. We'll do one, two, three. And if you're with me and you're like, you know what, I'm sick of holding this rock of judgment, I want, we're going to just drop them all together. But if you're here, because I don't want to make anyone do anything they don't want to do. If you're here and like, you know what, I don't care what you say, Nico. I don't care what Jesus says. I still want to hold on to this rock of judgment. You can keep that rock, and I hope that someday you can let that go. But you're always going to have less freedom than you really could have. You're always going to be kind of living your life a little bit less good as you could be because you're so busy holding on to that rock. So if you want to drop your rock, let's hold them out and count to three. And if you're with me and you want to let go that forgive or that judgment that you're holding on and you want to give them forgiveness, here we go. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.